Welcome to Fully Yours, a podcast about food, the sacred, and ordinary moments of extraordinary belonging. Hey y'all, welcome back to Fully Yours. This is Eva. And together with Chloe and Christy, the three of us make up the Fully Yours podcast team. Um, Fully Yours is a podcast where we explore food and all of its relationships with spirituality, theology, culture, and so much more. This week is a special part two episode about food and its relationship to family and family history and recipes. Um, I had a little conversation with my mom and her sister, my aunt. And it was so fun. Um, so you'll he- you will hear a lot of specific stories about my family. And hopefully many of you listening will find some common threads to your own family histories, particular, particularly if you are Southern. Um, and one thing that I noticed when I went back to edit this episode was how much I sound like a Southerner when I'm talking to my mom and my aunt more so than I do in other contexts. So I just think there's something kind of special about that. Um, but I hope you enjoy. This was inspired in part by the cooking gene, which I talked about briefly in last week's episode. So if you want to go back and take a listen to that, it might give some context. I also want to name something that I did not get a chance to name um, while we were recording, which is that there is some history of slavery and my family. Um, And that is a really important thread that Michael Twitty discusses throughout his book. Um, So I just wanted to name that, that not all family history is easy to reckon with. Um, And there were slave owners in my background. So just wanted to name that and to say that um, we all have a role and a responsibility to examine those stories in our histories too. So I hope that you enjoy. Hello, this is Eva, and welcome back to another episode of Fully Yours. Um, This is part two of episode 14 in season four. Um, So I'm going to be interviewing my mom and my aunt and talking a little bit about our East Texas and Texas family history and food and family recipes. And a lot of this was inspired by a book that we read as part of the show called The Cooking Gene which was written by a guy named Michael Twitty. And he is really exploring the history of Southern cuisine in the United States. Um, and it's very, very interesting. It's a, it's a thick book. There's lots of ground that he covers. And so I just shared a little bit of kind of the core key points in part one. So if you want to go back and check that out. Um, but now we're kind of getting to the grassroots and I'm at the virtual table with my mom, Valerie, and my aunt, Yvonne. So my mom is an ordained second-generation Methodist pastor. And she likes to decompress from the stress of ministry by menu planning and cooking. And she's very good at it. And she's married to Rick, who's my dad, who is a green-thumbed landscaper and baker. And... She wanted me to say, as you all know, she has a daughter who she calls awesome. I don't know. Jury's still out. <laughs> <laughs> and 
Um, my husband, Chris, and she has a precious pit bull named Jana, and a scampering cat, Scotty, also known as Miss Mess. And she and my dad also take care of some garden plots and many, many houseplants. And then her sister, my Aunt Yvonne, she studied theater and music. She's also a wonderful cook and baker, and she enjoys studying fitness and health. She loves to sing in the car and play piano, which she's also very good at. And she's married to Pat, who's an incredible blues guitar player. And they have three crazy kids, the oldest of whom is now working in the food industry. So, Mom and Yvonne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's so good to be with you. So, to start us off, tell us a little bit about our family context. Um, maybe a little bit about where our ancestors are from, as, as much as we know about that. Um, maybe a little bit about great-grandma and grandpa's family and the house that we know as Crawford Creek. Anything you want to share about that? Yes, we have deep, deep roots in the piney woods of East Texas, um, our aunt still lives in the house that our grandfather built in the early 1930s. And um, the family, uh, both sides of the family were in East Texas going back to um, the time before Texas was a part of the union. Um, so really very, very deep roots. Um, my grandfather didn't work for anybody else a day in his life. Um, he had a sawmill behind the house and uh, I believe he achieved a sixth grade education, but was very well read and had his favorite radio programs. And our grandmother also, um, her side of the family, um, moved to Angelina County from Leon County in the early 20th century. And they had a farm with all kinds of crops. They grew peanuts and all kinds of vegetables and had cows. And um, grandma actually became a cook at a very, very young age. Her mother got sick with, I believe it was typhoid or typhus. I can't remember which. Yeah, I remember hearing hearing people talk about that. Yes. And uh, so by the age of seven, grandma was in the kitchen cooking mm -hmm. and learning how to cook. And her dad, our great grandfather, you know, would share with her what he knew and help her until she got able to um, handle things by herself, which she could by the age of 12. And she had five younger siblings and one older sibling. Yeah. There's a touching story about grandma with her, um, her dad. He would go out and work in, uh, in the fields. And one morning he came in and that little girl had her head resting on the countertop. She was supposed to be making breakfast and she was sleeping. And he came in and I think he sent her to bed. That's what I remember. Wow. Working hard. 
Yes. But how did we come to call Crawford Creek Crawford Creek? That's a good question. It's named actually for a creek called Crawford Creek. Um, yeah, it's right by the house. It's it? behind. It's behind the house. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mostly grown over now. I don't think that it runs the water runs um, because a lot of people have wells and they've tapped into the creek. Um, But it is a real creek that is um, down in the bottom behind the house. Mm -hmm. Isn't there a sign for it on 103? There used to be. I have, it's gone now. And I always love hearing Peggy talk about great grandpa and just kind of what a maverick he was like, in some ways, he was kind of a, at least from my understanding, a little bit of a traditional, like, really believed in making sure the family was going to church every Sunday and, you know, sort of participating in the family traditions, but also, like, you know, smoked unfiltered cigarettes and cursed a lot and voted for a socialist. And um, I just think those are some interesting parts of our family. Yeah. You know, actually, it was Grandma, also known as Gma, that was the the traditional side yes. of the mm-hmm. house. And Grandpa, from what I understand, he was one of the first in the county to employ African Americans. I thought in his sawmill. Interesting. Oh, wow. And um, he did. He went against the grain. And he was very vocal, but he loved his family. One of the things he would do is go get your grandmother and and great aunt out of school and either take them to the movies or take them to get a shake in downtown Lufkin. He was like, forget school. Come on, let's go have fun. Let's spend time (laughs) together. And he also worked when he knew he had enough money <laughs> for the day and he would be like, all right, boys, let's call it, let, let's call it a day. We're done. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he, he definitely went against the grain and then Gma kind of held the reins with the traditional side, making sure everybody was good and clean and fed and healthy and went to church. Mm-hmm. But he, oh, he was not he was not a church goer until after he had his heart attack, actually. Um, <laughs> That's a way to find God, isn't it? Right, right. <laughs> um, he just went against the grain uh, in a lot of ways. Um, in, you know, that neck of the piney woods, a lot of people were church goers and um, he wasn't. And, um, but his spirituality was his own. Um, he could be heard having quite frank conversations with God. Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, throwing a coffee pot at the sky. Yes. Yes. Um, so getting into some of the food side of things, what are some of the food traditions that y'all grew up with? maybe connected to Crawford Creek or with Amy. Amy's my grandmother. Um, any memories you have, even on, on Grandpa Ralph's side as well, with kind of food and growing up in the South? It's interesting when um, you bring up Grandpa Ralph, who was mine and Yvonne's dad, 
um, his mother died when he was six years old. And his father, our paternal grandfather, uh, went through a series of relationships, some of whom uh, were married relationships and some of which were not. Um, and he worked in highway construction and moved a lot. And um, daddy um, lived in boarding houses sometimes um, and developed a real dislike for what he called boarding house food. He did not like rice pudding, which was something that was common in boarding houses. He did not like vegetables. He didn't like peas or beans. He didn't like potatoes until he was like 15 years old. I was going to say he was wow. like potatoes guy. Yes. Yes. Um, but um, his dad sent him to Arkansas. Uh, to live with um, his famous. mother's his mother's side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of them uh, is your namesake, Eva, Aunt Eva, That's and right. uh, her sisters and their mother. Um, and they were very influential um, for our dad, um, for your granddad. And one of the stories I remember hearing him tell about food is his grandmother made really wonderful biscuits. He said that he loved her biscuits and he wouldn't split it open. He would poke his finger in the side and stick in a pat of butter and then pour syrup in it and eat it that way. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. <laughs> um, but the food traditions actually from daddy's side of the family are not, well known. Mm -mm. Yeah. Mm -mm. No, they weren't passed down to us at all, and I really wish they were. Um, but uh, your grandmother's side, we've got a lot from that side of the family. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the dishes you remember? I associate with Crawford Creek fried chicken, yes. cornbread, yes. peach pie, which was I wouldn't eat grand grandma's peach pie was different Peggy used to make it I don't know if she was able to make it uh by the time you would have been interested in such food Peggy being our aunt um but the way grandma would make peach pie is she would make something kind of akin to a pound cake batter. And then she would pull out a big, the big oblong corningware dish and she would put the batter, but it was kind of stiff. She would put it in the bottom and then she would open two number two cans, which is would be the equivalent, I think, of like 28 ounce cans of clean peaches and heavy syrup. And she would pour those on top of the batter and then slide it in the oven. And as it baked, the batter would rise to the top and the peaches would sink to the bottom. And it was delectable. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I associate with grandma at Crawford Creek is the garden that she kept. Until she was, how old was she when she stopped? 81. 
And I remember sitting on the front porch, a nice big front porch with a swing and rocking chairs. And I would sit on the floor and we would snap peas together mm. or we would peel potatoes and cut them. And I would eat raw potatoes yeah. straight out of the garden. Yes. Shut <laughs> corn, all kinds of things like that. I remember just sitting with grandma on the front porch and almost always music playing in the background, probably from inside the house or sometimes the television. Um, Wheel of Fortune or something. Baseball. Yeah. <laughs> yes, she did. But that's what I associate with, with Crawford Creek in my early years is that it was a large garden. Yeah. It's one of my favorite memories in the summers uh, when Yvonne was a baby I would spend two weeks with grandma every summer. And as Yvonne has said, she had this enormous kitchen garden. And in fact, she had a few rows right down the road in a cousin's garden because she would plant so many, so many vegetables. And one of our routines in the evenings, just as it was beginning to be dusk and the heat of the day would start to um, give way a bit. Uh, we would go out to the garden and pick worms off the cabbages. <laughs> that, I remember that so clearly. And every evening she would walk in her garden. We would remove the pests. And she would take stock then of what was going to be likely ready to pick the next morning. And so she would be out in the garden early, early before I was even up picking tomatoes, butter beans or crowder peas. That was her favorite um, cow pea to grow with were crowders, mm -hmm. cucumbers, melons and uh, she would come inside and then begin to prepare all that. And our big meal was at lunch. And it was just, it's one of my very favorite memories. Yeah. I feel like I associate pinto beans too with, with meals there. And back when yeah. Peggy was cooking, I feel like that was often an easy supper was cornbread and pinto beans and maybe oh, yeah. some, some Raw other veggie onion. on the side. And raw yeah. onion. Yeah, yeah, she loved raw onion. Yeah. yeah. And I I remember, I this is so weird, fried chicken, cornbread, and green beans with, with new potatoes. Yes. Mm. Oh, my God. I think that's why green beans is still one of my absolute favorite vegetables. Yeah. Is from Grandma's garden. It's just, ah. Uh, she would that. cook, she would cook the new potatoes on top of the green beans. And the green beans would be falling apart tender. The potatoes would be tender. There would be a piece of ham or a couple of pieces of bacon in there to add flavor. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Delicious. And she did. That was something, too. She well, she grew up with meat being sparse. And so her cooking used meat in a sparse way. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like it was a flavoring, like a lot of plant-based eaters are moving toward now. Well, they're not moving right. toward that. They're there. Um, mm -hmm. That's what I'm trying to move toward. But um, I, so you still get that flavor from the meat, 
but you're not taking all of that in. And I do think right. that's, that's one of the reasons why she lived to 98. Yeah. And she drank full fat milk fresh and, from the cow. And buttermilk. And she would crumble up her fresh cornbread, or no, day old cornbread, um, into a tall glass. And then she'd pour either whole milk or buttermilk or a combination of the two. And she would eat it with a spoon for her treat at night. Or for a snack in the <laughs> afternoon. I always thought that was the grossest looking thing, but she loved it. That is so funny. Daddy liked that too. Ah, uh, yeah. Daddy liked that too. Yeah. I also remember as a kid when, um, is it, who is the cousin? There's so many cousins. Everybody on the street is a cousin too. She would come over and play dominoes. Um, and she lived in a little, mm -hmm. she lived in like a mobile home. Edna, yeah, Edna. of course. Yeah. And I just remember there would always be coffee brewed. I feel like, you know, coffee available all day. And yes. then I guess it was Peggy who would buy the little like wafer cookies. Yes. And I mean, it would be domino playing for hours. And I would just sit there and watch everyone. Yes, they would play 42. Edna and Grandma would be partners, and Mom and Peggy would be partners. Mm -hmm. And they were ruthless. Ruthless. <laughs> and sore winners and sore losers. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They tried to teach me how to play 42 one weekend, and I just couldn't grasp it, so they let me go. <laughs> just go on. It is, it is a complicated game. Yeah. I mean, I never tried to learn, but. It's, it's very fun, but I'm very rusty at it. You know, it's interesting, <laughs> the coffee. Oh, Mom, That's... I can't hear you very well. You, can you lean forward? Okay. There you go. You bring up coffee uh, being available and ready to drink all day. Coffee is a thread that runs through the family hmm. deeply. Um you know, not only did we have coffee in the mornings, um, but we had afternoon coffee. And when I was in high school, I was usually the first one home from school. And mom was in seminary at the time. Daddy was working for the church. And Yvonne, I don't know where you were. Because I remember coming <laughs> home and you already being there. Yeah. And sometimes I would walk home by myself. And I don't know. I don't know how it is that you were getting home after I was because I'm the older one. But I was the one. I was not skipping school. I never did skip school. Um, Latchkey kids. But I, would, kids I was right the one to make afternoon coffee. Um, and I would have the coffee ready when everybody came home. And coffee was my favorite afternoon snack. I remember being in fifth grade <laughs> and I would come home from school and I'm embarrassed to say how many pieces of buttered toast grandma would make me. <laughs> and, and there would be coffee. And that was my afternoon snack was coffee and toast. <laughs> 
can't, I still to this day cannot stand coffee, but I remember for a dessert at night, sometimes mom would pour me a cup of coffee, put a lot of cream in it, and then I would dip (laughs) ginger snaps in it and eat it. Yeah, she always had ginger snaps. Oh, man, that was so good. That is so good. I haven't either. So as, as we're sharing and just love all the stories, I guess a question that comes to mind is how do you think these stories and memories and and all those experience experiences shaped how you understand yourself maybe just just who you are period but maybe also who you are as southerners um how it's influenced your own relationships with food and cooking and um any of those threads I remember getting my first cookbook when I was six years old, and it was called My Learn to Cookbook, and it was a very yeah. Large... You gave that to me too when mm-hmm. I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Yellow cover, yes, and it had yep. a castle cake inside it, which Mom made for me one year. Yes, mm. yes, and um. Mom and Dad were so terrific. I mean, I, I mean, as a first grader, they would let me get in the kitchen and play with fire. It was really amazing. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's a story <laughs> about Mallory <laughs> with Uh-oh. this cookbook that she got. And she was, what, seven? And it, I don't remember if it was Mother's or Father's Day, but she decided to make oxide toast. Oxide eggs. Oxide eggs for for mom and dad <laughs> and serve it to them in bed, right? And I remember mom talking about Valerie brought in the tray. She was so proud and she had made it from that book all by herself. And she puts it down, and the egg is raw in the middle of that toast. And the toast was burned. And she, yes. And they ate it anyway. They ate it anyway. Their daughter made it. Valerie was so proud. I love that. Oh, gosh. Yes. I remember once making, because when I was a kid, you know, I played a lot of restaurant. Yes, you did. Savannah and I, Savannah, oldest oldest of Yvonne's kids, she and I would play a lot of restaurant together with Peggy. And I remember once trying to actually make French fries for Peggy (laughs) and basically just served her some cut up raw potato. And she, she gracefully ate it. (laughs) Yes, she did. Oh, it's so delicious. (laughs) You know, it's, it's interesting to think of these stories. I mean, of course I'm a pastor and, um, with mom and dad eating the runny oxeye egg in burned toast. So that particular recipe, it was you toasted a piece of bread and then cut a circle out of the middle of it and you cracked an yeah. egg in it and then baked it. I want to say Chris makes those mm. two or three times a week. I th- it can be really good, just not from mm-hmm. a seven-year-old. Right. <laughs> I think actually in Britain they call it toad in the hole. Um But, (laughs) and then, you know, Peggy, our Aunt Peggy eating your raw potato sticks, 
you know, as restaurant fries and being so um, gracious about it is there was just an awful lot of grace given. An awful lot of grace given and just understanding and room to grow and develop um, a lot of understanding uh, with a lot of flops, too. Um, it's really remarkable to make that connection. I'm going to say something here, and I am embarrassed to admit this. So I remember I started baking in, like, what, seventh grade? And brownies. Yeah, brownies was my specialty. But I did try other things um, and made a lot of mistakes. And I was always a horrible cook until I got married for some reason I don't I remember I don't, that I don't know I'm sorry why. I don't remember you being a bad cook but I remember like Oof. when I was a kid and you'd take care of me I just my dad would of course jabbing you would say things like oh she doesn't know how to boil water yeah <laughs> then, <laughs> well I knew but how then, to boil like, water you just, but I didn't you just know really when got into cooking yeah cooking. what but then I'm, I remember when you really got into cooking and you were making all kinds of things and I I remember some family recipes too that you started dipping back into. Well, that and that was something that I wanted to get into today is that um, your, like um, your mom for Christmas one year gave me a book of family recipes and it's all written in their own handwriting, mm-hmm. including copies of our grandmother's, your great grandmother's handwriting. Um, and that is, That's something I would take if my house was on fire or a tornado was coming. That's one of the first things I would get. And so when I make those recipes, I am feeling a very, very close connection to them. But what I was going to say about being embarrassed to admit is that I have my father's perfectionist um tendencies and my kids will come in and want to cook with me but i tend to take it over because i can't (laughs) i I can't let all of the stupid little things they're doing i mean i'm not saying what they're doing is stupid i'm saying that i i'm stupid for not letting them try what they're trying Sure, no, sure. it just like experimenting. Yeah. It, it bothers me because I know that was one of the ways that our family mm-hmm. expressed love to us mm-hmm. and grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm I've I keep allowing my perfectionist tendencies to take that over. Yeah. And that it's, really bothers me. That bothers yeah. me. But I will say that I have a two huge binders of recipes that I, I use frequently along with the family recipe book that your mom gave me. And I've started, especially since our mom died, I have started putting notes alongside the recipes as I cook them. Why I'm changing it certain ways, why I love this recipe, when I like to use it, 
because they all three kids have expressed wanting to have one of my recipe books. I love and I so love I make sure that I have a personal touch on all of my favorite recipes in there. Yes, I love that. that so much. It's interesting. Yeah. I have in the last 10 years started making notes on especially Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. Not the recipes, but after we have Thanksgiving dinner and I will make notes on what worked, what didn't. Oh, this recipe for turkey is the silver bullet or uh, this particular way of doing the cornbread really flopped or um, whatever. But I remember after Thanksgiving of 2012 and I still have the note in my folder. It says, Yvonne says creamed onions. <laughs> I love them too. They're so good. Must have creamed onions. But I love that. I love that you're taking the time to make notes like that because it really is such a. And, and that's a big theme of this book that we talked about too is there's so much history mm. that the author gets into from his family recipes. And that's how he discovers so much about. The, the history of Southern food. And, um, but I remember after, after Annie died and I got her one of her recipe books that was just like, it was like a little piece of her was still with me and I could, yes um, like a tangible piece of her, you know, still with me and I could, I can crack it open and see her little menu planning. And, you know, she'd have a little, she has a little section for, this would be nice for an afternoon tea or, and I think some of that was from her year living in the UK too, but yes, there's something so special about reading people's handwriting and yes. little tweaks and adjustments and yes. Yeah. You know, we really can't, um, leave the topic of talking about Crawford Creek food traditions without mentioning sweet potato pie and chocolate mm. pie. Oh, yum. Yes. Yeah. Those are, I mean, I don't remember the last time I made fried chicken because I can't, I can't do it the way grandma did. I've tried, yeah. but it's been years since I've tried to do it. Um, and I, we just don't eat much fried stuff anymore. Um, but chocolate meringue pie mm -hmm. and sweet potato pie mm -hmm. are, we can't do Thanksgiving without them. Mm -mm. No. Mm -mm. Nope. No. Cornbread uh, dressing too. Cornbread dressing. Mm -hmm. Those yeah. Three biggies. Other things came into play later, but those are the three, three biggies. biggies. Staples. And with like the sweet potato pie, like there's like, I don't measure when I make it. It's a little, you know, it's adjusting the seasonings as you taste, basically. I mean, I measure things like one egg or two eggs or whatever. But, right. You know, that's um, funny, Eva, because... With, um, I call them Peggy's chocolate meringue pies because she's the one who used to be in charge of them 
for Thanksgiving yep. until I got old enough to take them over. And I measure those precisely mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I do not want them to stray from what Peggy's, what Peggy managed to get. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. When Peggy made them, she was using grandma's recipe. And so yeah. it was written down. But to my knowledge, there's no written recipe for sweet potato pie anywhere. That, I think really? mom put it in that little family recipe book you gave me. Mm. But I think mm -hmm. Peggy told her what it was, I think. I don't remember exactly, but I know it's in my recipe book in mom's handwriting. Interesting. That's awesome. Yeah, I learned to make sweet potato pie in the kitchen at Crawford Creek with grandma sitting in the kitchen mm -hmm. telling me, mm -hmm. okay, uh, use pit milk, which is evaporated milk, mm -hmm. not sweetened condensed milk, but just evaporated right. milk in the can mm -hmm. and oleo instead of butter. Um, but the two spices that were absolutely critical for grandma were allspice and nutmeg, mm -hmm. not cinnamon. Mm -mm. And, right. and yeah, then also using uh, more sugar than you think you need to use. Yep. Because yep. there is a vegetal quality to sweet potatoes mm -hmm. that in her mind, in developing the recipe and executing the recipe, you have to counter that vegetal quality uh, with more sugar and it gives it a kind of candied quality in the, and you cook it in a slow oven at about 325 and sometimes it takes an hour and a half or even longer, um, but it just is delectable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anything else that you would like to share? about your own cooking and things you like to cook now or things you love about food or the only thing that I would add is the theme of this season of the podcast mm -hmm. um, thanks for reminding us homegrown uh-huh homegrown is it the food ways are so tied with place and i realize i'm stating mm -hmm. the obvious but no, i don't think so but um big ag and uh fast food have really homogenized everything yeah and there are there are food ways that actually grow up out of the land mm -hmm. where we're from and actually shape us and take on these deep dimensions of spirituality and memory mm -hmm. it's a really beautiful thing it is cooking recipes from people who have meant so much to us. Mm -hmm. It is, it's a spiritual experience, I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I agree. And I think it's a way of almost bringing their presence back. Exactly. With us. It is. 
and so that way with us. Sometimes you can feel them in the kitchen with you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's so incarnational. Mm-hmm. You know, incarnation, it's not just about Jesus. It's... No. It's the it's just a deep, deep spiritual dimension. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for what you shared and makes me want to have some cornbread and And some buttermilk. Some in a tall glass. Maybe for my dessert. (laughs) (laughs) I did have a sweet potato for dinner actually. And you watch Wheel of Fortune while you eat it. <laughs> Wheel of Fortune. What else? Wheel of Fortune. Cheers. I feel like those were the big ones that were on, at least when I was a kid. Oh. Fraser. Yep. Oh my! Thank you for asking us. It's been a delight. It has. Well, for me too. Thank you so much for joining us at the table. We would love to hear from you. Let us know what you think by leaving a rating on iTunes. Or if you have show ideas, comments, or just want to reach us directly, send us an email at fully.yours.podcast at gmail.com. For today's show notes, our blog, and more, be sure to check us out at fullyyourspodcast.com. Huge thanks to Steve Dry and Catalyst of Harvard Epworth United Methodist Church based in Cambridge, Massachusetts for their generous grant funding of this podcast. Shout out to the talented Joel Adams and Melody Stanford Martin for producing the original song featured in this podcast. Also to Melody for our gorgeous logo design and to our dream team for keeping us grounded and inspired. Until next time, we are fully yours.